to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Alon Avgi. Alon buys, renovates, and develops real estate projects all over Long Island, New York. And he started his company four years ago while studying at Hofstra University, and today has built a holdings portfolio of over 30 buildings. So welcome to the show today, Alon. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. And so Alon, I would love to start off by getting into your background, if you can please share and walk us through how you got started in real estate. Yeah, totally. So I started my first business when I was 12, e-commerce stores. I used to say nobody can see how old you are behind a screen. I was worried about people not taking me seriously. So I would drop ship furniture around the country. And one thing led to the next. Amazon became so big and eBay and everybody was so big and started getting into like larger scale furniture and I couldn't compete anymore. So I decided I need to get into something different. I launched a beverage brand, which I knew nothing about. I lost all my money. I launched a sports equipment brand, which I knew nothing about. I lost all my money. And I'm like, you know, what's the only thing that I was, I understand, you know, that I've been part of my whole life. My parents had two houses when I got into this, two multifamilies. And I said, I understand real estate rentals. I don't want to get a job. I don't think I'm going to lose all my money if I get into a real estate hard asset space. So I did. So I borrowed hard money at 12% and two points when I was a sophomore in college. And it just snowballed from there. One deal led to the next to the next. And uh, I never had to get the job. That's what I wanted. And now I real estate company. So you talked a lot about like you started a company, your first company when you're 12 years old. And at that age, a lot of times the kids are you know focused on different things. And so for you, what was the driving factor for you wanting to be motivated and like wanting to start business after business and after business? I think I was really lucky that my parents never gave us any money. We didn't grow up with much money, my family, uh, like most immigrant families that come here and, uh, and many people in general. And my dad was so tight with what we had, he wouldn't give us any money. So he's like, you want to make money? Figure it out yourself if you want money. And I was like, all right, cool. So my brother and I used to go out and we wanted to get Arizona iced teas, the dollar, big cans. And sometimes we didn't have money for that. So we're like, all right, man, we got to figure out how to make money. So we were just little kids running around looking for ways to make money. We used to caddy at the golf courses for people. And then I got three kids to caddy and I would charge them 50%. I would bring the clients, they'd do the work, and we'd split it. It was always just something. We just wanted to get our hands on some money so we could just be with other kids and do things and build businesses. Just fun. And so, you know, that's really great that you had talked about that and that your parents had instilled such a great value with you at such a young age. But one of the things also is like your like each business, you said you failed, but I'm sure you had learned a lot from each time you did a different venture and you started building up more and more confidence in going along. And so after each step in your life, what kind of gave you the motivation to keep going and just not give up? Well, you know what's funny, Eileen? I've always had confidence. I'm still confident. Mm -hmm. I'm not worried about losing money. Money's never been like the reason that I've stopped to do anything. You know, I always think to myself, would I do this if I don't have the money? Will I do this if I do have the money? If 
the answer is yes to both and I have to do it. The answer is no to if I don't have the money, right? Then like, you know, I got to think about it. But if the answer is yes, when I do have the money, then I have to do it. I don't have the money, but I have to figure out how to get my hands on the money and still do it. So I just strive to do bigger and better things all the time. That's what it's always been about. It started because I needed to get my hands on some money and I was always interested in business, right? If I didn't grow up the way I did, I probably would be on like a trading floor or work for Goldman Sachs or something. But uh, instead, I just work for myself and I enjoy working for myself and I see myself being with those big players one day. Um, and to get there, I have to constantly do bigger things. I still think I'm at like the very beginning of where I'm going. So you mentioned also back in when you were a sophomore in college, you took out the hard money lending. And then what was that for? And then also, how were you able to get the hard money lending as being a sophomore in college? So it wasn't great financing. That's how. Money is accessible everywhere today if you have a property that can collateralize it. With collateral, you can get money for anything, anytime. It doesn't matter how old you are. So I met an attorney and the attorney, uh, he was actually my parents' attorney on the house that they closed. And keep in mind, my parents aren't big players. So it's not like I had big backing or reputable players with me. It was just, he knew me as an entrepreneur. He had access to funding. He would broker it out. I brought a deal to the table. I asked him what he thinks. He said, I think it's a good deal. I said, all right, great. Will you lend to me on it? He's like, you've got to put some skin in the game. It's like, all right, cool. I saved up $50,000. And he's like, put it in. I was like, all right, deal. And he lent me the rest. And then my money became cheaper and cheaper. Like now I borrow at like 4%, right? From more institutional financing. And it started at 12 and two, which is 14%. And it's gone down now to like four and one. And yeah, that's how I got the financing. Anybody could really get financing if they're willing to sign for it and have something to collateralize it against. So then after that, what did you do from there? So that was a house in a, a pretty good area in Long Island. It was a great deal. I bought that. I took all the money I had, pushed it into it, collected rent, paid off the debt, moved on to another one. I did a cash out refinance on the second one. The third one I did is seller financing. It was just like a learning experience every deal. You know, my fourth deal, yeah, my fourth deal, I got messed up big time. Like I took an $80,000 hit on the way in that I did not expect all municipality based, like the towns slowed me down, did all this stuff. And if that happened to me on my first deal, I would have been crippled. But that's the risk you take as an entrepreneur, knowing that there's ups and downs and you have to be a raging optimist in order to do really well when you have nothing. And then as you grow, you can become a pessimist unless you want to just break through ceiling after ceiling after ceiling. So it just snowballed, you know, it's just a snowball effect. And so how are you like finding these deals and how are you choosing the different areas that you wanted to invest in and purchase these different properties and assets? I do most of my business in Long Island. I'm going into Brooklyn, hopefully Memphis with Antoine, uh, who introduced us. And also Houston, those are markets that I've been scouting out, Brooklyn, Houston, Memphis. I pick those markets based on what I know, you know, like Long Island, I grew up here. I know every area very well. I've taken time, I've researched it, I've driven around. I know the rental demand, I know the sale demand. So it's very easy for me to act in Long Island. I don't have to hesitate, I have a huge competitive advantage. I have friends that are very aggressive in Brooklyn and do very well, and I work on their guidance. So real life feedback is the most important in my opinion. So they give me real life feedback. And based on everything I analyze, I decided that's a good market for me to get into. Antoine runs Memphis. He's an animal in the Memphis market. And I just went out there with him last weekend, him and his family, who are all lovely people, and his girlfriend. 
and they showed me the Memphis market a bit. I like it, you know, and I hope to do a JV with them over there because they're the experts in Memphis. So I just try and stay strategic anywhere I go. Long Island's my home, easy for me to run through. Those other markets, I need a strategic partner and I'll park capital there and bring in my partners and go over there. And then also, if we can go back and if you can share a little bit on the fourth deal that you did where you said you had gone in and you had lost the $80,000, can you share a little bit about some of the lessons learned that you took away from that? Yeah, you need to over budget, basically. Like you can't not have the money to do something if there's potentially huge risks involved. You need a back burner. Like you don't need to have the money in your bank account, but you need to have a source to go to in case something happens. So my source was my credit cards. I just started running through credit card debt when I started going on. I started facing, you know, that uphill battle on that property. The bank, it wasn't the bank, sorry. The town stopped me from doing what I wanted to do. They issued me a stop work order. That stop work order led into another thing and another thing, which led into a variance. And I had to rip down walls and replace them and do things differently. And it wasn't a big property. The whole property, the whole deal was supposed to be like, $300,000 $300,000 and it ended up being 380000 But I didn't have somebody to lend me the 80000 So I had to run myself into credit card debt, which I paid off, of course. I just went into super hustle mode. And the lesson I have now is that I, I have sources of capital. If I run into those issues now, I have strategic partners that would lend to me uncollateralized, like straight promissory notes. And that'll let me keep funding what I need to so I could keep moving. You know, that crippled me for like, three, four months. I couldn't move when that happened. So yeah, just make sure you have a plan. If you're getting into something that's above what you can handle, then make sure you have a plan to loop people in that can handle it in case you need them. There's no issues with taking risks. Just keep in mind that you want people behind you so you could keep growing when you need to. And sharing is always okay. You don't need to keep everything to yourself. Do not be equity greedy. Sharing is fine. You want You'd be happier with a little piece of something much bigger than a big piece of something that didn't work out. Yeah, no, that's great. One of the things you mentioned, you know, is reaching out to some of the resources and reaching out to some people to make sure that you're you're backed by the different areas. How are you able to build up those connections and create those meaningful relationships? You see, Eileen, for me, that's the easiest part of all of this because I'm just myself. I'm just a genuine person. I love to be who I am and have fun and show people my business. And uh, I hope people learn from me and I learn from people. So that's the easiest part because if you're walking into the grocery store right now and you're waiting in line, you know, you hop on a phone call and somebody asks you a question about that phone call, or you hear somebody on a phone call talking about business and you say, Hey, I just heard you're in a uh, digital media. You know, like what type of media do you do? Like, I love to spark conversations when I hear something or people hear me and they want to talk. I love to spark conversations and just be true to, you know, what I'm doing and who I am and show people. So people reach out to me on Instagram all the time. Huge networking source for me. And when they reach out to me, I answer. I get over 100 DMs a day and I answer every single DM. And that just leads to great things. I raised $800,000 from one connection on Instagram. So people tell me, how do you raise money? Like, how do you meet these investors and stuff? Investors are everyday people. I'm investing in a deal right now with a friend of mine who does much better than me, but he was raising money from investors. I love the deal. Only way in was to be an investor. And so I'm investing with him. And now technically I'm his investor. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. 
Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Like you never know who you're going to meet and then just building out those connections and just having those open conversations. Um, that's really great. Thank you so much for sharing. Definitely. And so, you know, from that time until you've right now, your portfolio is you have over 30 buildings. How are you able to scale it to, to where you are today? 30 buildings. So keep in mind, these buildings range from like houses to like mixed use buildings somewhere in Long Island, like Patchogue and Smithtown and stuff like that. So there's a range, you know, it's uh, I wish I had like 30 buildings in Manhattan, something crazy, but I'm not there yet with time. Scaling goes back to what I said about taking a smaller piece of something bigger. As I was scaling, a lot of my time was taken up with the rental management. I was managing all my tenants. I know the ins and outs of property management now. I didn't want to pay for a property manager because I, every time I did the math, I'm like, oh my God, giving away 15, 20, $25,000 a month in fees is hard for me. You know, I don't want to give away that much money when I could be making it. That's more than most people make in the country in a year, right? Like if you multiply that by 12, I said, I'll just make that. But then I got to like my 15th or 16th property. I said, okay, I need to hire somebody. I can't keep doing this anymore. Otherwise I won't grow. And my whole game plan is to grow. So I hired somebody. She was my boots on the ground, started running a, you know, like the human resource side, like dealing with the tenants and all the issues and stuff like that. That took a lot off my plate. I was still dealing with the towns, the permits, all that stuff. And uh, once I got to like 25 buildings, I realized I just can't handle it anymore by myself. So I brought in my best friend from college who I trust with everything I have. He uh, handles all the management. We opened a management company together. He manages all of the properties and he has the right to partner it on anything he wants to if he wants to put in uh, his share of the equity. And we're 50-50 on that. So that took everything off of my plate. Now he's running a business that's thriving and about to take outside work and grow. And I've gotten a smaller piece of something much bigger rather than having the whole pie, which was going to stop me from becoming who I want to be. So what are you looking to do next? And what is your future focus? I love rentals. I want to continue growing my rental business. And great questions, by the way. Uh, you're awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I want to keep growing my rental business. And I'm also getting into the flip side because when you're in rentals, your cash broke all the time. Your money just keeps getting pushed in, pushed in, pushed in. So I'm going to start flipping properties, which is something that I didn't entertain for the past four years. And I was always hyper-focused building you know, a rental portfolio, and I'm going to continue building my rental business. I don't have any plans to slow down. I'm just going into more markets, Memphis, Brooklyn, Houston, throughout Long Island. I just want to put my foot on the gas pedal and rip through deals and just grow, grow, grow 
over the next few years. And then can you share a little bit about how are you choosing these markets that you're looking to grow in? And especially if they're a new market for you, you talked a little about about Tennessee, you have a strategic partner out over there, but how about the other markets that you're looking to grow in? Like, how are you determining that these are the ones that you want to, to go into? Oh, it's just like I said before, it's just strategic uh, partnerships. Like I have a friend in Brooklyn. He's doing phenomenal in Brooklyn. I want to work in Brooklyn, but I know I can't compete with guys like him. So I'm partnering with him. He, it's a different split than what I'm used to because I run my Long Island deals, but he runs the Brooklyn deals. So we're partnering up in Brooklyn, different terms. And I know he's going to do phenomenal with me as a partner rather than just by himself. I'm handling all the financing end of those deals. And that's how I pick Brooklyn. Like I know the market. I've been there before. I know he's doing well there. I want to work with him. So we're doing it. It's my good friend, Ariel, actually. He's 29 years old and he's got $100 million in sellouts right now. He's a beast. Houston. I was going to Houston over the past like seven years to visit my uncle. I would fly out there. I'd visit him, see him. He works in software. I'd fly back. And every time I went, I saw more and more and more buildings going up and more people. And I'm like, something's going on here. You know, like people are flocking here. I almost wish I bought before COVID because the numbers there have tripled since. So now units I was looking at for 35000 a pop are going for like 100000 a door. And, uh, and it's justified. You know, there's a reason they're going for those numbers. It still makes sense at those numbers. And I'm starting to understand the market. So I know he's going to be my eyes and ears on the ground if I ever need him to shoot out and check something out. But I'm getting an understanding of the market. I met property managers, contractors. I built that little community that now when I take my first leap over there, it's all going to be ready. And one of the things also I kind of want to ask you about, you know, sometimes if you're going into real estate, you know, a lot of people, they get into it and they are like, they tend to be, they start off as solopreneurs. They do things on their own. They do everything, especially if they're going into like the single family rentals or if they're buying, just starting off. For you, how are you able to, you know, like starting to build up your network and being comfortable with with building up these strategic partners and going together as a team instead of having to do everything on your own and trusting your partners and the people that you're working with. I love working with partners. How? What was the question? How do I want? And how did you get to that point where you feel comfortable with working with these different partners and not just doing everything on your own, but being comfortable and giving the trust and your confidence in other people to take care and do the things that they're good at while you're doing the things that you're good at? It's a great question because it's just like starting a business. It's trial and error. You might work with somebody and they're not the right partner for you. And that's okay. That's totally fine because you just move on. You cut your losses or your gains and you just move on. It's part of life. It's one deal is not your end all be all. So I've done plenty of deals with people that I didn't love the way it went, right? The way I look at a partnership is I have value to provide, you have value to provide. We both have to provide that value to each other to make the deal work. At the end of the day, we have a common goal. And that goal is to make that deal as as successful as possible and continue moving on to more. So I basically scout what people do, see where they need help and what they need help in, how I could provide value, or if they don't need any help at all, and there's just some sort of synergy that we have. And then we both go in together. Uh, My buddy in Brooklyn, he's doing great. He's got 100 million in sellouts. He's 29 years old. He does not need me for a second. But he told me alone, I'd like somebody to handle the bank financing. And I don't have time to shop out bank financing. I don't have the right brokers. Would you be interested? 
said, yeah, I'm interested in this deal. He brought the investor. I'm bringing in the bank. I'm handling the bank financing. And I ran all the numbers, drafted the pro forma. He's handling the construction side. In a few years, we're going to raise the rents on one of a few of the certain tenants over there. And, and it's going to be a phenomenal deal. So there's value that we're both providing to each other. And his is a little bit more than mine. And for that, he's getting compensated with better terms. But that made the synergy work. Now, if it doesn't work out and everything goes south and whatever, it's okay. It's a deal we tried. We're moving on. But if it does, then it's a beautiful thing. Who knows where it'll go? And so, Alon, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? Oh, it's the best thing I could have done in my life. I live the best life I could ever imagine right now. You know, when I was five years old and I would look forward and say, what do I want to be? Like, what do I see when I grow up? It's where I am right now. I thought I would have more. You know, I always think I'm going to have more and I should have more. But the lifestyle I live now, it's like such a blessing. We got my parents a new house. I travel whenever I want. I don't have to worry about things like I did growing up. You know, we grew up poor and I just didn't want to be poor anymore. So real estate, rental real estate gave me the opportunity to get out of where we were from and live the best life possible. And that's why I love rentals and real estate in general. And what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? It's a great question. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. You know, a small deal and a big deal is the same thing with different numbers on the HUD. That's it. There's just different numbers on the closing sheet and it's all the same. It's just plug and play and You've got to put the work in no matter what, like anything in life, but it's not that hard. So that has given me the chance, you know, knowing that has pushed me to do bigger and bigger and bigger deals all the time. And for someone who's kind of starting out, they see getting into real estate as being this, they, like you said, it is difficult. It's, it's, there's a barrier to entry there, you know, it's, not hard. it's difficult, but it's not that hard. And so for somebody who's looking to do that, you know, what kind of advice would you give them to like, just start. You know, I lean the hardest part going back to that is that getting started because they're scared. The hardest part of that is conquering that fear. So I have a friend that comes into my office once in a while and asks for advice. And he's got a wealthy uncle. His uncle does so well. And his uncle's willing to finance any deal that he wants to do up to a million dollars. And he's showing me like a $75,000 house. And I go, okay, do you plan on flipping $75,000 houses for the next, you know, five years? You know, put yourself on a five-year trajectory. You have to focus. And he goes, no, absolutely not. I just want to get my feet wet. I go, but you have a million dollar line of credit right here. Like if I was starting off again and I had a million dollar line of credit, I would tap that out. I would do a million dollar deal. Because the worst thing that happens in a million dollar rental deal is you break even. If as long as you hold things, you're never going to lose. The worst thing that happens on a million dollar flip is that you lose 20%. So you'll lose 200,000. And your uncle will still be your uncle and you lost $200,000, and life goes on, and you learned a ton, and you're going to move on to the next one and make it there. So what's my advice to them? Stop. Don't be scared. It's not that hard. The worst thing that happens is you're going to lose some money, and that's part of life. And what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in the real estate investing business? That's successful people apart in real estate investing. Consistency consistently doing the things you need to do to get ahead. I'm always on top of everything we have going on. So all of our management, which is in-house, right, with my partner, Chris, that I was telling you about earlier, the second a bill comes in, it's scanned in, analyzed, paid if it needs to be paid. The second there's a tenant complaint, doesn't pass an hour before they, get an, they reach another point of contact and somebody's there to fix the issue if necessary. Everything's handled immediately. 
we're consistently pushing that line and constantly on top of everything that we're solving issues before they even happen. So staying consistent, problem solving bills and things that could stack up is vital. Staying consistent with buying is vital because if you're not buying, you're somebody else's and you're losing out on deals and you're not growing and consistently meeting new partners and people to work with. If you're not doing that, you're not pushing ahead. So consistent real estate entrepreneurs are traditionally way more successful than non-consistent. And then are there any tools or techniques that you've used that you can share with us today that have helped you out and be more efficient in what you do? Yeah, reading. Books are the best tool possible. I love to read and learn. I just finished a book. What was it called? The Compound Effect. And that was about consistency, actually. And I took some uh, some things out of that book that I learned, and I've been writing them down. I've been doing what it said. And it's been making me better every day. I feel it. So books for tools. Tricks whatever, just constantly strive for more. If you always want more, you're going to get more. You might not get everything you wanted, but you're going to get damn close if you want it. And that'll help you get ahead. Everybody's so excited. Summer's starting. I'm excited. I have fun all the time, but I am so disciplined when it comes to my business that it's scary. Like it's very hard for people to keep up with my work ethic and the way I am with my business. So I think that's necessary to be a successful entrepreneur in general, not just with real estate and anything. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alon. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. If our listeners wanted to find out more about you and what you do, where can they go and what's the best place to reach you? Alon Avgi on Instagram. I'm the most active there or alanavgi at gmail.com if you want to shoot me an email. Thank you for having me, Eileen. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate everything again. Thanks. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.